welcome to episode 96 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, August 4th, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's going great. It's had, great. We've had a fun time trying to get this technology to work and i thought we'd have a nice quiet house today because everybody except for the dog is not here and the dog has decided to be to take up the slack oh my gosh so you might hear some puppy noises in the background but he's adorable if annoying so i'm sure you will enjoy it we have a love-hate relationship i don't i enjoy the dog but the dog often does not enjoy me so it is he doesn't like, enjoy anyone. He just doesn't remember me from time to time. No. Okay. I don't know what he's doing. We are going to do on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand, and bingo. And it's going to be great. So let's get started. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Away we go. <laughs> on the needles. I think I said that there would be a lot of knitting this time, and there is. So very exciting. First of all, I finished my rainbow sweater. So cute. Oh, I know. I posted... A photo on Instagram if you want to see it. I am so, so happy with it. I don't generally brag about my things, but I'm pretty impressed. I mean, I didn't design the sweater or come up with the yarn. I just put it all together and I'm really excited. So, so excited. It, it's so fabulous and it's, it's so a fun. great souvenir like six months after the fact because it was from Stitches that you... Yes. I mean, you had been wanting to do it, but... We saw them in the in real life. Yes, there were stitches. several samples of this sweater because I think it came out in November of last year. So then stitches was in March of this year. So a lot of dyers had done kits for it. The pattern is by Yelly, and the yarn is from Teal Torch Knits in the DK weight. And I had the mermaid gradient, which is greens and blues and purples, and just looked amazing all together and then hallowed ground 2.0 which is a perfect gray was my main color i'm just so excited and it hasn't actually been cold enough to wear which is surprising because we had rainy fog warm rainy fog yeah no so, complaints though because it wasn't hot true so the rainbow part of it is spelled R-E-I-G-N-B-E-A-U-X, but it does do a rainbow. And you start off by knitting a semicircle in whatever colors you want to use, and she gives you the whole pattern is basically based on your measurements and what colors you want to use and how much yarn and you know how many colors. So it's very personalized, and you do the half circle, and then you knit the body around. You pick up stitches and knit the body around it. One of the sleeves, if you want has the same striping pattern. That's how it is in the sample. That was how I did it. You could do stripes on both arms, no stripes at all. There is a V-neck or a crew neck option. I went with the V-neck. Which is perfect. It looks so nice. It I was really, great. really pleased again. And then a nice rib collar and a ribbed hem. It, yeah, I blocked it and it stayed. St <laughs> it still stayed looking nice. So I'm very excited. Um, and then I took some photos when we were visiting my parents and my mom was like, wow, even and actually even my kids were pretty impressed with that. So I think <laughs> that is a sign if they notice something that I've knit and think it's pretty cool. Definitely one of one of the highlights of this year thus far, I would say. So thank you to the designer and the, the dyer for putting together that lovely, lovely combination. And then I finished another pair of socks, my Dead Marshes socks, uh, the pattern by Claire Ellen. Yarn is Sincere Sheep Cornwall Light Fingering in the colorway SF Summer. I heard dead Martian. <laughs> <laughs> I do speak quickly. Dead Marshes from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it was a really fun pattern, kind of with waves and texture. And then the yarn was from, I believe, the Speckled Club. So you got yarn with speckles it, it it turned out nice i was a little bit worried that it would be the yarn would be too busy for the textured pattern but i think it turned out quite well it's kind of a, a beigey background with lots of yellows and pinks and oranges so it's a really cool colorway really cool socks very exciting and i have posted pictures of those as well and that was the one 
Boy One has been my photographer for a lot of these. And I think I finished these socks and the the last striping ones that I did pretty quickly, like, you know, in time next to each other. So he felt like all he was doing was taking pictures of socks, which I haven't knit a lot of socks lately. So he was kind of right in that I've been knitting a lot of socks, but that is not all I knit because I also knit a cowl, the Autonomy Cowl by Rami Hill. This is a pattern she came out with recently and $5 of each pattern purchased will be donated and the donations will be split between Planned Parenthood and the National Network of Abortion Funds. So go buy this pattern if you want to support some good companies. She suggests knitting it in green. The idea for the whole thing was based on the bandanas worn by abortion rights activists in Argentina like 20 years ago. Um, and it's been a thing. Interesting. And, yeah, which okay. I didn't know, but very timely. Obviously, I mean, that's why she came out with the pattern now. So it's a very quick and easy cowl. The pattern is written for DK, but she has a way to do it with fingering weight yarn. So I went through my stash and found some Three Irish Girls Wexford Merino Silk. So it's a very luxurious cowl for my protesting needs. <laughs> and the colorway is called Boswell Bay Strawberry, which is this pretty bright green and with little tiny flecks of red. It's supposed to look like a strawberry field, but mostly it's green. And it has a nice lace pattern and then a fun tassel. And Ooh, a tassel? Yeah. Ooh. So very quick, fun. super quick and easy. I think it it took me technically two days, but that's because I started in the late afternoon and finished it up the next morning. So it's def definitely just a couple hours project, if that. And so those are all my finished objects, which I think is pretty good. But I'm not done because when you finish things, then you have to start things. So I ended up pulling out my Elton cardigan by Hohi Locatelli, which is, oh, I think I started that in 2019. So that has been on the needles for a while. It is in the neighborhood fiber company Rustic Fingering and Loft, which is a mohair and silk lace. So yes, I am back to doing fingering and mohair silk, although I was doing it before <laughs> and then I just stopped doing it. Similar to the t-shirt that I did recently, different pattern, but same idea where you do stripes. You do a stripe with the regular fingering weight yarn and then a stripe with the silk mohair. This one is in the same colorway, so you get texture because of the different kinds of yarn. But it squishes up while you're knitting it, and you really need to block it to see the full length so it doesn't feel like you're getting anywhere. And that was why I eventually stopped working on it. But then I was... Kind of in between projects, I needed to wind yarn, I needed to swatch, and I didn't, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do any, <laughs> I had no brain space for some reason. I was like, oh, I can just pull this out, see where I am. I realized I was pretty much done, like I actually measured it, and I was, it was as long as it needed to be, so I just put the, the hem on and bound that off and blocked it so I could, you know, make sure that it was fitting in the right length before I got any farther and I was and now I need to pick up for the sleeves did I do that yet I can't remember I don't think I've picked up for the sleeves yet so that's the next step because then that's a whole other thing there are always always problems with knitting so but that is sort of back in the rotation it would be nice to finish it because it is a, a cranberry colorway it's officially called Waverly but it is like a dark cranberry so it would be nice to have for the the fall season coming up but that was fun to to get that back in rotation. And then I started a new pair of socks because I was going somewhere. So another pair of vanilla is the new black by Anna Fletcher. Pulled some yarn and wound it up. Uh, White Birch Fiber Arts. And the colorway is Calm Before the Pitchforks, which is half the reason I picked it, although it is knitting up very cool. I couldn't quite tell what it was doing, and I didn't remember what it looked like from when I bought it. But it is big stripes of white and then a stripe a multicolored stripe of like reds and greens and oranges and yellows, maybe some blue as well. So when I was winding it, I couldn't quite tell if it was going to be big stripes of white and then like little tiny stripes. But no, it's it's like a variegated stripe, which is it looks really cool. The colors are fun. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I have a lot of events coming up this month. So I think those will get some good progress made on them. And then I started a shawl, the Atlantic Heart, also by Hohi Locatelli. This one, I had yarn from a club kit that was designed to go with this pattern, and I love the colors of the yarn, so I wanted to 
I've been wanting to knit this one for a while, and I finally decided I had the headspace to start it. So again, Neighborhood Fiber Company Rustic Fingering, and the three colors are Upton, which is black, and Shadow, which is a beigey pink with blips of black, and Cross Street Market, which is a pink. Um, and it's mostly garter stitch, and then there's some slip stitch stripes going on, and then, I don't know, other things are going to happen later on that I haven't got to. So it's pretty good for TB watching because especially right now I'm in 15 rows of increasing in garter stitch, so it's pretty mindless and boring and not something you need to pay attention to. And it's turning out really pretty. The yarn is super soft, at least at the beginning. The rows are small enough, as you know, that you feel like you're making great progress. And then all of a sudden you're knitting, you know, 144 stitches every time and you keep increasing and increasing and then you're knitting 200 and it just takes longer and longer. So this is going to be a little bit of a long-term project, but I am excited about it and looking forward. I think it's got a lace border in two colors and Hohe's patterns are always really, really fun and well-written and enjoyable to wear. So I'm looking forward to finishing that one. And then finally, I have my test knit. I started it off. It is the Zephyr Mark II by Celia McAdams Cahill. And I ended up finding stash yarn. So that was kind of exciting. It is being designed for my retreat, my knitting retreat next April. And so a bunch of people are doing samples. And there's a couple of options for this sweater. You can have it be solid with short sleeves or long sleeves, I guess. And then there's a striping version. So I'm doing a striping long sleeved version. And finding the colors was a little tricky. They definitely needed to be solids. Although I love knitting sweaters when I go to events. It always feels weird buying a whole bunch of solid color yarn, like less exciting than the, you know, the ooh shiny of a variegated or a striping. And I sort of figure I'll, you know, I can always just order, you know, blue yarn or whatever. So I ended up when I want to go from stash, it's a little bit harder. So I had this one batch of yarn um, that I got at the Lambtown Festival, must have been 2019. So it's Mendocino Wool and Fiber Company a Romney Coriolale mix. And I think it's a natural color. So it's this sort of warm beigey brown, gray. Yeah, it's a great warm neutral. Yeah, and I've been wanting to knit with it to try it out. And I had a decent amount of it. But I think this will help stretch it a little bit. But it's it's pretty rustic looking. So then I had to find some other yarn for the stripes that would match with it in terms of work with the color because it's definitely a warm brown and the rustic the feel. Texture. Yeah. And I, I managed to do it. I have some Biche Bouche Le Petit Lambswool in a dark violet blue, basically a purple. But I have a whole bunch of that. I have more than I would need for any one sweater, I think, unless I did something super giant. So I think I can spare a skein or so of that for these stripes. And then from Deep Stash, I found a verb for keeping warm, creating in the colorway My Hand and Yours, which is a light, light blue? It's, light denim. it's not, not super, super pale. Light. Medium. A deni want... Denim is a great, like a mid-tone denim. Yeah, but it has that same sort of rusticy feel. It's a little bit warmer than a lot of the blues I have. So I am almost it's a, ready. It's a superb trio. Thank you. It looks like you bought it. Like oh, a set. You thanks. Know? Yeah, I'm excited. It's definitely, I think, not a look that I have in my wardrobe right now, but I think that it's in colors close enough to what I do wear that it'll it'll work and I will enjoy wearing it. So I'm just about to, to split for the sleeves and then it'll just be <laughs> lots of knitting in the circle in beige. So we'll see. I do need to get it finished because um, it is a test knit. And then the sleeves will be striped. So that will be more fun until I get to the part where I have to weave in all the ends. That will be less fun. I'm trying to figure out how to make that less painful without, you know, I could carry the yarn, but I think that would be too much. Stephen West has this little technique that you can find on YouTube called the Weave in Stephen. Oh, all right. Where you weave in your ends as you go. Oh, okay. And it's a little tricky for me because I'm you know, intermediate knitter, like it's, it's a little bit too much for me to deal with all the time. But when I remember, I'm so glad that I did because yeah. like mission accomplished. Yeah. Okay. I need to check that out. I think I've seen it before. And generally I don't have that many ends where I'm terribly concerned about it. So, but this time 
He uses so many <laughs> colors in his work so yes. that he has yeah. come up with a good work. I do actually have one of his previous mystery knit shawl knit alongs that has a bajillion ends that I still have not woven it in because I cannot <laughs> I cannot deal with it. That's the part that I like the best. Oh, do you want to weave my ends in? Sure. I'll give it to you. You can do that for me. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, so so much knitting. I mean, the downside of it all is now I have two giant projects on the go. So you'll be hearing about them for a while, I imagine. I mean, I do need to get through the sweater, so it shouldn't be too, too long, but so much knitting. Excellent. On the easel. Since we were we were away, I don't have too, too much to talk about, except I do have a s- stories. So we went to Bend, Oregon, and I did not take any knitting, but I did take, I took a couple sketchbooks and some paints and some colored pencils. And in my downtime, and one day when the guys were doing dangerous things down the face of a mountain, I painted a ton of trees. I used some of the references from Emma Carlisle's Patreon. She did a tree month in July where she was just drawing tons and tons of trees. And that was really fun to jump in and out of. And then in the background, before I left San Francisco, I had staged a couple pieces of the the assemblage for that brushed show that has since closed. But I didn't leave the city with a finished project. I had left it unfinished, which didn't feel great, but I just didn't have time to pull it all together. And then I obsessed about the project the whole time that I was away. If you'll recall, I had sculpted a whooping crane out of stone clay with a little bit of wire armature for legs and neck. I had a brush because the the show is featuring altered brushes. I had a brush that I was going to cut up and put in a box and tuck the bird into the brush like grasses. And I had found a box, a wooden box, that I thought was going to be the habitat or the housing for this whole thing. And off I went to Oregon. And the whole time in my head, I kept seeing this in like a glass box or an acrylic box. Normally, I do not like plastics, but I just felt like that that variety of textures was going to be the overall look that I wanted. So the second, well, the next morning after we came home from Oregon, I went downtown and I found an acrylic box at the container store. I would love to have been able to make this myself or to like repurpose it, but I didn't. So there's that. It happens. (laughs) It happens. So I found this box and brought it home and was so excited to put, to carve up the brush to fit into it. And I got the brush. I used this really special Japanese handsaw that lets you get really precision cuts. I mean, it's like a saw. You know, it's probably 24 inches long, super sharp blade. It's kind of like a fancy Ginzu knife. And so I spent half the day cutting this brush precisely to fit into the acrylic box. So I kind of cut the brush sort of in half, and then I cut the handle off of it. So it was two cuts. And then the outside edge of the brush, which has been distressed from years of use, is like spilling outside of the acrylic. And when you turn the acrylic box, like you can see the beautiful cut and the grain Mm -hmm. and where the bristles go into the wood of the brush It came out so cool. I was thrilled with how the brush turned out. And then I thought I would drill some holes along the handle and tuck some more bristles in. And I did that and I hated it. (laughs) And then I was really upset because like, did I ruin the brush? And I still had another, the other half of it, but it wasn't like I have this vision in my head. So I found a, a branch with some different lichen textures in it and I tuck that into one of the holes and the lichen the lichen covered my mistaken you know errant hole drilling and then I tucked in a little bit more lichen and moss to like round out that 
mistake. It's a lot of problem solving. It didn't look like a mistake. No, I'm very, I had always planned to put the branch in there, but Mm. I was glad to conceal my overzealous drilling. And then I was so excited to put the bird in and I had it all ready. I cleaned everything out. I was like, okay, this is it. I can submit this piece, you know, and I tucked the bird in and he was too tall. (laughs) And so I cut his legs off or I cut his legs down so that he would be like really in the grasses and he was still too tall. And this bird was just looking at me like, this is not my housing. This is not my habitat. And so this is Saturday night after driving for like eight hours the day before. You know, I was pretty tired, but I decided. But weren't you reinvigorated by the cool air? I was. It was so good to come home to fog. I'll talk about that during the food portion. So my bird was too tall. And Saturday night, very late, I decided I needed a different bird. So I went back to the field guides and I found this bird called the the thick need, (laughs) the thick knee. I thought it was the curlew family, but it's not. It's just, it's its own thing. I loved him because, or her, I think it's a her. I loved her because she has these big eyes and I got her neck to turn so that she's looking out sort of at the viewer and the posture was just so much better with how the the lichen branch was and and it formed a better visual triangle in the in the overall composition. So I made her basic foundation and I let it dry. Well, it's like 94% humidity here and the next morning I got up and she was still not dry. Mm. So then I started panicking and I couldn't put her in the oven. I tried hair drying her. It was just a race. It was a race against time with this bird. Ultimately, I got it all together. I gave her more time to dry, painted all of her plumage and her... (laughs) I painted one eye and I got one eye perfect. And then I painted the other eye and I looked at it head on and it was like one eye was here and perfect and the other eye was (laughs) here and she looked like a cartoon. So I had to erase an eye and move it back and... It, that is the the challenge of working three-dimensionally for me is I'm not accustomed to that. And so that was incredibly fun and invigorating. And then I got this bird all put together and I tucked her in the grass and she looked so good. And I'm so thrilled with it. And this was this is just my entry for the brush show. We'll hear in another week or so if it's been accepted to the show and I'll keep you posted. But it sort of doesn't matter because I love how it came out. I named her Bernina because long story short, she has these thick knees, which is the most ironic thing because she has the tiniest little bird legs. And all birds have thick knees if you are talking about it. And, yeah. you know, I, I just don't understand. Although she does sit back on the inside of her knee joint, you know, when she sits down. And it made me think about my grandmothers who both were sort of thick kneed <laughs> and of which I have inherited sort of thick knees. And it made me think about inherited genetics, basically. And in thinking about my grandmothers, I was trying to think of how, what to name it, and her Latin name is Berninde or something like that, and my grandmother had a Bernina sewing machine, oh. and so that's kind of how the, the workaround. So she's not thick need, but I love the combination of like linking her with my grandmothers, and anyway, oh, Bernina. It's adorable, <laughs> and it must you. be so fun to try such a different medium for you. Yeah, it was it's something that I want to do do more of, although I'm really trying to figure out how to make my own acrylic housing because it doesn't feel good to purchase that. I mean, it's not any more expensive than a canvas or a panel, but I, I'm not a plastic person. And we'll see. Maybe I won't be able to get it as crisp as a manufactured one, but I'm going to try, I think, because it's easy to get recycled plastics. Mm. So... It's something that I'm investigating and we'll see going forward. So yeah, that's, I'm supposed to be working on my calendar, but I'm getting a kid ready for college and that is 
is taking, you know, a lot of energy. We'll talk more about that next time. <laughs> yes. We're avoiding it partly. We won't be able to avoid it next time because they'll be on their way. No, we're not talking about that right now. Okay, is that food all the then. Art? Food okay, then. on the table. My husband went to jazz camp for a week, so we had, no joke, chicken and pasta three nights in a row. Even <laughs> 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 my kids noticed. And they asked, why? Why are we doing this? We're not complaining, but why is this happening? Like, because your dad's not here. Live it up, kids. And I didn't, like, I didn't, I didn't fully think it through as I was planning things. It was delicious. It was all really good. Oh, we made the melting chicken. Ooh, yum. We made, I made the melting chicken. It was delicious. Oh my gosh, so easy. There's nothing to it. I know. And it's the easy. combination was really great. And I had accidentally bought chicken cutlets so they were really thin which i think actually is good because then you get more of the delicious topping and less chicken in each bite so that was really good i made oh, i guess it wasn't chicken there was pasta every night i did salisbury steak one night because we could do the egg noodles which i can't i, I haven't found a good gluten-free substitute if anyone knows because there are certain meals that i feel just have to have the egg noodles and salisbury steak is one of them you could do mashed potatoes but i wasn't feeling it but before he left, I made a summer squash gratin with salsa verde from Smitten Kitchen because I had two pounds of zucchini to my name. And what else are you going to do with zucchini but add a bunch of cheese? Zucchini bread. <laughs> I'd rather add cheese. I actually like zucchini. No one else in my house I like zucchini loves too. it. So I'm trying to find ways to make people eat it. But this was really good, and I actually made the salsa verde, which was kind of like a pesto. I mean, it had parsley and garlic, and this one has capers, and I added extra capers because I wasn't putting anchovies in it. And then thyme, oregano, and mint to kind of make it a little zippier. And you mix that, you slice the, the squash, and Yum. mix it with not too much. It was actually not very much cheese, uh, which ended up being fine. And then you saute breadcrumbs and shallots and mix those one on top and then bake it. And it was really good. I was kind of concerned about the lack of cheese because it is a gratin, but it was it was really nice. You could still taste the zucchini, but with all those other flavors, it kind of distracted you from it if that wasn't your thing. And then because it was summer, it was a little bit lighter since we didn't have a bechamel or anything. So it was a really nice summer dish for when it's foggy and 55. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was why we, we served it with tomato soup. Oh, that's that a great a, pairing. So, yeah, so it was really good. And I think the kids weren't home, so I didn't have to listen to them complain about it or not. But I very much enjoyed it. The husband seemed happy with it as well. So that was a win. Thank you, Smitten Kitchen. And then I did my both a great British Bake Off recipe and my epic dessert. I mean, only everything. It was probably not the most epic dessert ever. No, no, it's okay. But I don't care. I was super proud. I made the jam. That's why I, I oh. consider it epic. So it was kind of weird because I had found this recipe and it said this is you know the Mary Berry Great British Bake Off Victoria Sandwich Cake. And so I'd been working off of that one, and I did not read the part where you're supposed to make the jam. And then I looked at the jam recipe, and it said you use jam sugar. So I went down this whole rabbit hole of what is jam sugar. Apparently, it's sugar with some pectin, and oh. yeah, so it has the, the gel stuff in there. So if you're making serious jam, you would probably need this. I was not making serious jam. I was making basically raspberry sauce to put on a cake. So I found some other recipes... The one I used basically was a Martha Stewart recipe, which was like raspberries and sugar and lemon. And I guess the lemon makes it gel as well. So mine was not super thick, but it was fine. It tasted delicious. It was very easy. Did you sieve out the seeds or no? No. I'm not that fancy. I guess I could have. Would that have made a difference or just made it prettier? It's just a preference, a personal preference. Yeah, I don't I think. care. Okay. Yeah, no. So a Victoria cake is two layers of vanilla sponge cake and in between them you put the raspberry jam and what this one called for was a vanilla buttercream which I thought great and that made sense to me because whatever a million years ago when I was in England and would eat this it was you know all in place and you know like you could have a slice of cake and it was all there 
But then all of the other recipes, and I finally found the one on the Great British Bake Off website, they all called for whipped cream, which is much easier to deal with, but does not really stay in place. No. So that was strange, but it was delicious. And then the cake... It was a very precise recipe. You're putting things in and mixing them all, you know, and I was very good about it. I think I may have overbeat it a little bit because I used actual real gluten-full flour. Oh. And so I'm not used to having to, to worry about over-mixing, really. So it was a little bit dense, but it still tasted delicious. And then I sprinkled powdered sugar, and the boys and I went over to my parents' And so that I figured there's five of us that can make a cake. And it didn't, it, you made it in an eight inch pan, so it wasn't huge. And they were pretty thin layers. Very pretty. I pulled out my mom's fancy cake plate. And then we went to cut it and all the cream just went bloop out the sides every, oh, no. all the way around to get you know more and more. So you'd have to kind of scoop the cream up and plop it back on the cake. But it tasted delicious. I still had a ton of the raspberry jam left. I don't know if I just should have put more on or that was just what I needed. I thought it tasted fine. It was plenty, plenty yeah. raspberry. And I enjoyed having it on my toast the next day. So excellent. It was fun. Many things I'm still confused about in the world of this cake, but I want to make tasty. one of those jelly roll cakes. Oh, yeah. And I was talking to Matthew about it last night because I love r watching reruns of Great British Baking Show. And we were trying to find an episode where they make those. Mm, those are always tricky. Yeah, because or at some least they people, seem to be. Yeah. You know, and there's that one guy who thinks he can score it and it'll roll better and then it just falls apart. Yeah. I was thinking I wanted to rewatch the one where they make the Victoria yeah. cake just to yeah. see what they do and if they used buttercream or whipped cream. I don't know how you cut it with the whipped cream. It was fine. It's tasty. Excellent. Got to check off two goals. So that was great. Good. How about you? I was away. And I am not cooking yet, <laughs> but I did have a stellar appetizer that I wanted to talk about and then tell a couple stories from Bend. One night we went out and I had a cold beet borscht soup. Nice. It was so beautiful. It couldn't have been more magenta if you'd added <laughs> pigment. It was really visually satisfying to see the soup had tons of dill in it, which I love, and it had tiny bits of cubed beets and cubed cucumbers, and it was nice and cold, and it had a little swirl of sour cream in it. Great for a super hot night, which it was, and that has inspired me to bring borscht back into my life. I went through but nobody else likes beets in your house nobody right? else okay. likes beets you can make it and share it with me and then oh, it will count okay because nobody else in my house will eat beets i love borscht there was a little while between high school and college when i had a lot of it for some reason <laughs> um that's one does well my mom had a place next to a russian tea room and they served borscht all the time and it was kind of a thing so I overdid it probably then, and now I'm realizing, wait, I really did love that. So I want to re-inject that into my life. Cool. It was excellent. I don't have a recipe for it, but it's a vacation highlight. I have two more vacation highlights. Aside from it being blazing hot, like 100 degrees, and if you know me- Was it hot there? I've heard nothing but complaints from her all week. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I am like a head of lettuce, and I completely wilt anywhere over 85 degrees. And it was- You are a delicate San Francisco It was flower. over 100 degrees, like so half the time. The only saving grace was that it's a high desert climate, so it was very dry. We didn't have the humidity, even like we do here. In the evening, it would cool off ever so slightly. Not very much, but- just enough so that you could walk back from dinner and not be, you know, a dragon. <laughs> I'm not very good in the heat. So one day I went out really early and took myself for a gigantic walk. And as I was walking around, I spied quail. I don't know if you know this about me, but I totally love birds. <laughs> do you? I do. And I saw so many quail, California quail in the high desert 
and it thrilled me completely. And then we went over to the High Desert Museum where they had burrowing owls. Oh, so cute. And then they had a whole raptor birds of prey center. And because of the avian flu, they didn't have their full bevy of birds on display. But I did get to see a couple rescue birds up close, like a, a peregrine falcon that was so beautiful and a red hawk, red tail hawk. And then one day when we were on the river, we saw two juvenile osprey like standing at the edge of their nest, waiting impatiently for their parents to bring them back a cheeseburger. It was so great. So lots of good birds. And then the other thing that we did up there that was surprise. Well, it wasn't a surprise that it was great, but it was great because we all did it as a family was a nighttime canoe trip. Wow. So we went out into one of the high cascade lakes around 730 at night when the bats were starting to come out and swoop down and take care of all the insects. And we watched the stars come out. It was pretty incredible. As it got darker and darker, obviously you see more and more stars. I think the the only sad part was how many satellites are up there. It's really easy for us to not notice because we live in the city. There's so much light pollution that we don't really get to see the stars anymore fully. And there was so dark and you could see all of the satellites. Like there's a lot of space debris up there. We also saw the International Space Station go overhead and it was like a giant slow moving streak across the sky. And that was incredible. And then we saw the Milky Way and our guide, we had a naturalist guide with us and he was able to point out lots of constellations that normally we just wouldn't be able to see here. So it was a great experience to get out there in the super dark. And I mean, we could see a lot of this stuff at the place where we were staying too, but seeing it on a lake with reflections of it in the lake, it was a new moon. So it was really Mm. dark, was a really worthwhile experience. So that sounds awesome. So yeah, no cooking, but stars and birds (laughs) and birds. Excellent. All right, on the nightstand, I only have four books this time. What? You've been knitting. I have. Also, the first book I read was 1,200 pages. <laughs> so that's like three or four books right there. Oh, my gosh. It was really long, but it was good. It was The Sun in Splendor by Sharon K. Penman, which is old, old, old. I think it was her first book. Historical fiction, it is the story of King Richard III of England. Hooray. And this is weird because, so I'm a history person. I'm an English history person, British, mostly English. So I know lots of stuff about Richard III. So me reading this book is going to be a different experience than a normal person. (laughs) So like, what do you know, Courtney, about Richard III? Oh, even as a Shakespeare person? Uh, Oh, Richard III. Yeah. Yeah. Not really nothing. Okay, cool. So he, he was king of England for two whole years. And do you know anything about the princes in the tower? Nope. No. Awesome. Wow. People. Um, <laughs> She's rolling her eyes at me. No, I, it's good. It it sort of confirms the fact that I, I have a niche interest. Yes. And yes, you do. Even though I surround myself with other people with this niche interest, that does not mean that anybody else knows any of this information. Okay. So his brother was king for 24 years. Did pretty well. There were a lot of ups and downs. It was the whole Wars of the Roses. Richard was a devoted brother. There was another brother who they actually had to execute for treason. So family drama. There's so much drama. It is, it's the kind of thing that if it didn't actually happen, you would read this book and say this author is just bonkers. This is completely unbelievable. <laughs> so that's 24 years. Then the brother dies unexpectedly about the age of 43. And Richard this time is like early 30s. The brother has a son who is 12 and there's another boy who's 10. And so everyone's like, great, we have a new king, but he's kind of young. So brother Richard will be the guardian and the regent and kind of rule in his stead. The boy's mom, oh, Philippa Gregory wrote a book about her. And there was a TV show, The White Queen. So if you've read that, you know I've some things. That. Yeah. So you might have read or seen that as well. They don't get along. She doesn't, she is a big family. They don't get along with anyone. Things go sideways and no one is quite sure why exactly. Anyway, Richard usurps the crown starts killing a bunch of people and the boys who were 
living in the Tower of London are not seen again. To this day, no one knows exactly what happened to them. No way. Yeah, it is still a huge mystery. So fiction, historical fiction writers love this because there are so many ways to go with this. Yeah. And except for Shakespeare, mostly people make apologies for Richard. So he rules for two years. The first Tudor king invades. There's a big battle and he's killed. So the War of the Ro- the Rose line ends with the Tudors? Or is- no, so there were two roses. There was the Lancasters and the Yorks. I'm going to try and make this short and not get too detailed, people, but I apologize in advance. Yorks were the white roses. Lancaster was the red. red. They fought for a long time. And then Henry Tudor, who was sort of a Lancaster, came in and married the Yorkist princess. So combo- Red and the white, the Tudors were ended ah, the wars okay. officially. There's nothing um, like a marriage to build yep. a bridge. Yep. So the Tudor dynasty was sort of dicey and a usurper. So they obviously wanted to make Richard look as bad as possible. And he definitely had some issues. So a lot of what we know to a certain extent is Tudor propaganda about how bad this other guy was. But there were definitely some things that he did that were dicey so this book is his whole life all the things that he went through this sounds fascinating oh my gosh it's amazing okay my only problem is they kept such tremendous records of like royal minutiae forever and ever going back how did they lose track of these boys because it was the 1400s and they really didn't keep track and then people deleted stuff yeah Hmm. yeah yeah it's i mean richard's wife was the princess of wales for the former guy and then he was at the battle where her husband died and then she married him so it was very interesting her dad was like switching sides all the time there is so much so much stuff it's fascinating this sounds so good and this is an older book yes Okay. I forget what year it came out, but um, Sun and Splendor. Yeah, and so for me, since I know the basic historical facts, what I want from it's not a retelling; it's you know from a there whoever's version of this story has to kind of stick with the actual known facts. I mean, they can throw some other things in there, play around with some stuff, but I have to understand why her characters are doing whatever they did because. He was a loyal... Well, okay. So for the first 10 years of his brother's reign, he was a child. So he wasn't really doing anything. But then he was a great general. He won several battles for his brother. He ended up being basically the king of the north and was a great leader. His family had never been popular in the north of England. And he became a beloved leader in that area. He was never anything but devoted to his brother. And then in the space of two months, he starts killing off his brother's in-laws and his best friend and his nephews. It's odd. So she had to make that believable mm. or make the deaths of the nephews believable or the disappearance, depending on who you read, they go with the, some of them escape, some of them are killed. There's, there's many, many versions of this story. If you're at all interested in historical fiction, this is a good one. And I haven't read a ton of her books. I think they're all pretty much English royal historical fiction. I think I read one of them a long time ago. So this one, it is it is indeed very long, but quite good. Thumbs up for that, Sun in Splendor by Sharon K. Petman. And then I needed something fluffy. So I went with A Caribbean Heiress in Paris by Adriana Herrera. So this is the story of Luz Alana. She is from the Caribbean, and her family makes rum. Her father has died recently, and so she is on her way to Paris, with her best friends and her younger sister to try and get into the European market. There's a big exhibition going on in Paris. Lots of people are there. So she's going to meet people and expand her rum. She has a meet cute with Evan, who has a whiskey company in Scotland. Oh, and she's half Scottish as well. So there's this whole Scottish thing going on. They are sort of competitors, but he keeps helping her. And he's got a, a secret that he's hiding and a, some, a revenge plot that's going on. I mean, it's a romance. It was delightful. Lots of biracial characters, which was great. Lots of Caribbean heritage, which was also really interesting. Information about rum and whiskey making, which 
you know, there was lots of good things going on there. She's got plans for books about Luzalana's friends, so I'm looking forward to those as well. And then A Prayer for the Crown Shy by Becky Chambers. This is the second book in the Robot and Monk series. They're very short books, maybe 200 pages, and they're just sweet and thoughtful, and I really, really like them very much. They are, I guess, sci-fi. They take place in a world where about 500 years ago, people were just obsessed with technology. The robots woke up, decided they didn't want to be a part of this anymore, and took off for the wilderness. So people had to basically reconfigure their whole culture. They did. Everything is delightful and lovely and supportive now. Our monk, who is one of the main characters, is still feeling a little bit of existential angst about what they want to be doing with their life so they take off kind of on a hike and they run into a robot and this is the first robot that anyone has seen in a very long time the robots are apparently have sent this robot as an emissary to find out what the humans want in the first book they were getting to know each other in this book they are traveling to various villages and they're on their way to the big city i think the final book of the trilogy will be in the city so there's lots of conversations about friendship and what it means to be a sentient being and how to, you know, live your own life and let other people live theirs and what's the best way to, to respect others. And it's just a really beautiful, thoughtful book. Stuff about nature as well. The, the title, and I don't know if this is true about trees. I really want to go look this up. I haven't done it yet. There's a scene where they're, they're lying in the woods and they, they're looking up and the robot says, just look, like, what do you notice? And it takes Monk a while, but they eventually notice that the, the branches of the trees don't touch. There's space around each tree. The trees know to stop growing so that the trees around them have space. And the Monk is like, how do they know that? And Robert says, no one knows, but they do. Like They know that everybody has to keep growing together, basically. I thought that I was really that. cool. It's beautiful. So the whole book is like that. Like Even though they might overlap or come into each other's space that they don't touch that's that's fascinating I want to know too and I'm kind of thinking like when I've been out camping and you sort of look up at the trees yeah you can see you know you can see the sky out there so yeah it certainly feels like it should be true I like it yeah so that was cool so in the whole book is those little interesting thoughts and tidbits and and things to think about and then I read another romance Something Wilder by Christina Lauren. Christina Lauren is two authors that work together, so I've read a couple of their other books. This one is indeed a little bit wilder. They wrote this one, I think, during COVID, so they just wanted something adventuresome and, you know, with travel and and whatnot. And so it's the story of Lily Wilder, whose dad was a big treasure hunter, pretty famous in Wyoming and Utah. When she was 19, she had her heart broken, and then her dad sold the ranch all in very quick succession. So she's been kind of recovering for the past 10 years and currently leads cowboy adventure tours with a fake treasure hunt in Utah, I think. So on one of these trips, it's a guy's trip, and it turns out her old boyfriend who broke her heart when she was 19 is on this trip so that she's distracted by that. And the family ranch is back up for sale. So she's worried about that because that's always been her dream to get it back. Things go very sideways on this trip, as one might expect. Shenanigans ensue, as as of course they do. It's a Christina Lauren. They do great writing. Very fun and, and romancy and also fluffy. <laughs> How about you? So I have one game and two books to tell you about. I'm oh, breaking cool. all the rules. Today. Sure. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. That's right. So when we were on our family trip, we came across this board game store and my husband popped in while we were waiting for our order to come up. He came out with Wingspan. Oh, I've heard about that one. Is it good? It was in it's the supposed pa- to be amazing. It was in oh, the newspaper yeah, yeah. a couple okay. weeks ago. And I said something like, well, he- I'm not a competitive person. And this is like the only board, board, board game. Yeah, yeah, it's not a... It's not a, it's not like that. So he bought it for us. Nice. I am in love with this game. Oh. It is so fun. We got three teenagers to play with us, if that tells you yeah. anything. This board game is designed by Elizabeth Hargrave. 
It has so many amazing bird illustrations, which were done by Natalia Rojas and Anna Maria Martinez Yamarillo. I love it. The premise is you pick these bird cards. There's like a giant deck of bird cards, which this particular set is North and South America, I think, or maybe just North America. I'm very happy to report that they are coming out with expansion decks for every continent. Yay! I am absolutely going to buy them. So then you get your own little game board and you have to build a habitat for your bird cards. And I never win anything ever. And so I just thought I'm not going to win. So I'm just going to pick the birds that I like. Hello, quail. Hello, cranes, <laughs> puffin, you know. So I get all of these birds. We weren't really sure like how how the strategy works like who wins who cares we got birds you know well i won because hey. all of my birds were super cool <laughs> anyway so that's a strategy i'm upset yeah now all the boys know how to win so there went that i love this game it has bird facts on every card you learn about their habitat what kind of nests they create how roughly how many eggs is in each clutch it was so fun Two nights, several hours of us learning how to play this game. Mm -hmm. I think it could be faster. There's also a version that you can play against like an online. You could play solo with the computer. Oh. Love it. <laughs> Wingspan. I'm obsessed. Okay. Then I have two books. The Witches of New York by Amy McKay. Oh, that's a good one. So fun. Mm -hmm. I was, I remember I said last time like, all right, so maybe witches are my, you know, my genre. Oh, right. So this one is about three mediums, or how I don't know how they want to be called. They're witches, I guess. Adelaide, Eleanor, and then young Beatrice. And this takes place in a tea shop, Tea and Sympathy, in New York. And they are just surrounded by demons and dark forces and... Occupational hazard. Yeah, totally. And I think that... Is this the beginning of a series? It feels like we're getting set up to catapult Beatrice yes. I read into a this short Christmas book that happened oh. after, but I haven't seen a sequel sequel, I don't think. I think what's different about this book is that most witch books, hello, my name is so-and-so, I come from a long line of witches. This one, Beatrice has chosen this path. And I think that that is a strong vein throughout the book is like, you choose your destiny. And I really liked that. I feel like we're setting Beatrice up for, you know, her career as she sees uh, dead people and she helps them communicate with their living people. And that is really powerful for the people in this community. And then Adelaide and Eleanor are going to help guide her along this path and they're you know they're running into evil forces both natural and unnatural it was fun it's a fun read and then i read a burning by mega majumdar this is a this is for my debut read and this is a book that has three really distinct interesting voices there's jivan a muslim girl there's a terrible train bombing, and she makes a stupid comment on Facebook about how the government is controlling people because they don't know who who did the bombing. They need a scapegoat. They need to blame it on somebody. And so she gets the blame. And then there is P.T. Sir, who was Jivan's gym teacher, P.E. teacher at her school. And he has the ability to speak on behalf of her character but because of his political aspirations, he has to make a choice whether or not he's going to do that. And then there's Lovely, who is a trans character. She is such an incredible voice. And I think that her character catapulted me through this book. I really love her speaking cadence. I don't know that it's a translation, but it's got a particular voice to it. And Lovely's voice is so compelling that I would, you just want to hear more from her. And she has the ability, she might have been like an alibi or a witness that Jivan wasn't part of that bombing. And she 
is struggling because she wants to be a star and they basically tell her like distance yourself from this case or you will not you won't get this part and so everybody you you're hoping that they do the right thing and it's a difficult it's a difficult plot but the characters are so well wrought that i think people will enjoy the reading of it even though it's a hard book incredible debut i can't wait to read more of her work that's mega majumdar yeah that sounds um, sounds quite good really really great read and that's it nice sun and splendor was written in 1982 wow that's was... in the way back ish machine yep one might almost call it a classic no i will I'm going to be calling it. Is, oh, you it need is a classic. It, you need a classic. I see. It is a classic. Yes. All right. like, because we're bingo. older than that classic. <laughs> well, I know. It doesn't make it not a classic. We are classic. We are. We are classic. All right. So bingo started Friday, May 27th, and will run through Monday, September 5th, which is Labor Day here in the U.S. To enter, you need to post a photo of your bingo card with a completed bingo in any direction on Instagram using the hashtag CCRR Summer Bingo 2022 or on the Ravelry thread. Um, and you don't have to post photos of what you're working on, but we love to see them. And you guys have been amazing this year. So many fun things. And we have a bingo this week. Craft Buzz got her bingo. Hooray. So very exciting. Ooh, frozen tiramisu bars. I know. There were a lot of epic desserts. So I had my epic dessert this week. This whatever fortnight <laughs> i think very that was sun my... and splendor of you <laughs> i know i think that was my only thing that i managed to accomplish which is fine because it was delicious and fantastic so yes so craft buzz had frozen tiramisu bars and then pilates girl did a rhubarb blackberry rhubarb rhubarb <laughs> rhubarb <laughs> blackberry lattice top pie lattice crusts always just are so impressive to me they're so beautiful yeah and then we had a bunch of local recipes. I still need to do that. I haven't figured out what I want to do. So Knitwise09 did Hawaiian pizza on English muffins, which is fantastic. And apparently Hawaiian pizza was invented in Ontario, Canada. Like, who knew? That's great. I think that's fascinating. Lota Kel did a vegetarian buffalo chickpea salad because she is hanging out in Buffalo, New York. Oh, that's fun. Which, um, yeah. And also, I really want to try that recipe because vegetarian. So that, that sounds... That works for your crowd. Yeah. yeah. What did you have? I just had my debut author, the, the nice. A Burning. Cool. Yeah, we're getting down to the final few squares, at least. I basically me. have to cook the next... I know. I have a lot of empty wooden spoons. Yeah. I've gotten a few in now that I've gotten my epic dessert, and I need to teach somebody something. Can it count that I taught you about Richard III today? I taught yes. all of you about Richard yes, III today. Absolutely. Also, the most fascinating thing about him. So after the battle, they took him into town and dumped him somewhere. And nobody knew where he was until about five years ago. They found the grave. It's a wacky story. This lady claimed she had like a feeling in this, in a, a one, parking lot. One of the witches. <laughs> Apparently. I don't know. No, she had a, she claimed she had a feeling in a parking lot. Like she was a journalist, I think. I forget what she did. She was in a parking lot in the, the town nearby where the battle. And she's like, oh, it's Richard. And apparently did some research. And the area where the parking lot was or is, I think it's still there. It looked like it was a church yard. And she somehow convinced people that this could actually be where he was they dug it up and found his skeleton yeah oh my word they did like dna analysis on it and yeah it's wild story yeah i think the most amazing part of that is that she actually convinced them to dig it up i know i forget exactly i read she had a book so there was actual research that she did and I can't remember which she did first. She might have been doing the research, but it was a very specific spot. A skeleton is not going to be that big. You miss by a I, foot yeah. and you're off. So I think she had done some research. So she had an idea that this church was there and it made sense that they would have taken him to this church. And so it could be. But yeah, that she actually they actually found it is pretty, pretty That's bonkers. Mind blowing. Yeah. So. So cool. Yes, you did teach us something. Yes. There we go. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. Until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hello, and welcome to episode 96. That's not how I start. Is it? Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't know. How do we begin this? Craft, okay. cook, read, repeat.
But it's episode 96 of Craft Play Your Feet, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. Hello, Blooper Reel. Okay. <clears throat> Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.